0: The New Testament reading for today comes from Hebrews eleven twenty four 24 through 26. The sermon text is Exodus 2, 11 through 25. Let's go now to the reading of God's most holy word. Hebrews 11, 24. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter He answered, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So far the reading of God's most holy word, we do pray that the Lord would add His blessing to the preaching of it this morning. As you can see, this little section of the book of Exodus that I've just read covers A lot of ground as it pertains to the passing of time. In the previous passage, we learned about the birth of Moses, and by the end of this passage, we learn of the birth of Moses' son. About 36 years pass between the end of verse 10 and the beginning of verse 11, where we read one day when Moses had grown up. The text does not tell us anything at all about the life of Moses. From the time that he was weaned, probably at the age of four, and the events that are described to us here starting at verse 11. We, we know nothing about Moses' life uh, during that period of time. But in Acts 7.23, Stephen says that Moses was 40 when these things that are described to us in 2.11 and following took place. I think this should remind us of the way that the life of Christ is narrated in the gospels with with the exception of Luke the gospel writers jump from the birth of Christ to his ministry which began when he was about 30 years old Luke does tell us one story about Jesus when he was a child but so it is with Moses we know almost nothing about well we know nothing at all about his his childhood all the way up to the age of 40 so then it is left to our imagination To think of what life must have been like for Moses from the day that he was taken into Pharaoh's house up to the age of 40. Uh, The Hebrews, to whom Moses originally wrote, would have had a clear understanding of this in their minds. They They were once slaves in Egypt, so they must have had some understanding of the lavish and luxurious lives that those in Pharaoh's house enjoyed. We must remember that Moses was raised as a prince of Egypt. He lived a life of great luxury, of privilege and comfort. We should not forget about this fact as we consider this story, for here we learn that Moses forsook this life of power, privilege and prestige when he decided to identify with his God and with his people. And that is the first thing that I would like for you to see. Moses when he was 40 years of age, decided to identify with God's people forsaking a life of privilege that he had for so long enjoyed. In verse 11 we read, One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Notice the repetition of the phrase, his people. Moses went out to his people, the text says. And again, he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And so clearly we are to see that Moses had had decided to identify with his people, namely the people of God. He considered the oppressed Hebrews to be his people and not the powerful and prosperous Egyptians, not even the family of Pharaoh. I think this is astonishing. We might ask, who in their right mind would choose to identify with a group of people who were in a situation like the Hebrews were in, especially when this would require them to forfeit the kind of glory, honor, and power that Moses possessed as a member of Pharaoh's house. It's not as if Moses was forsaking life in in Pharaoh's house to identify with the people who were doing rather well. Uh, These were people who were severely oppressed, Moses gave up the one thing to have the other. Most would look in upon this decision and, and say, Moses has lost his mind. Why did Moses do it? Well, we actually know why Moses did it, for the scriptures tell us. Hebrews 11 tells us that it was the faith of Moses that drove him to make this radical decision. I'd like for you to hear the passage again. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Uh, What was his faith in, we might ask? Uh, What exactly was Moses' faith in uh, that would lead him to make this this radical decision to forsake that life of luxury in Pharaoh's house and to identify with this severely oppressed people? Uh, The second portion of the text of Hebrews 11 tells us, saying that he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. I would like to just pause for a moment and think about that statement that I've just read. It's really an incredible statement. It's so revealing concerning what was in Moses' mind and heart when he made this very radical Decision Moses broke with the house of Pharaoh and chose to identify with the people of God, knowing that he would be mistreated along with them because he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. You know Christ had not yet been born. Uh, in fact, Christ would be born uh, much later from, from the time that we are now uh, considering But Hebrews 11 tells us that Moses' faith was in Christ. He knew that when he left Pharaoh's house and identified with the Hebrew people, he would suffer the reproaches of of Christ. It's really a marvelous statement here. He identified with the Hebrews because he knew that the promises concerning a coming Messiah were entrusted to them. He knew that his people, the Hebrew people, were God's people. They were set apart from the nations as holy. And according to the promises made to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Christ, that is to say the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would one day come into the world through them. He understood all of this. His decision to break from Pharaoh's house and to identify with God's people was very rational and deliberate. Radical, yes. Extreme, yes. Something that the world would look in upon and say, Moses has lost his mind. Yes, that's all true, but it was a rational and deliberate decision. He did not act compulsively, nor was he driven by mere emotion or sentiment. No, he knew what God had promised to Abraham regarding his descendants. And he understood that God would bring the Messiah into the world through them. He understood these promises and he believed them. In fact, he believed these things so strongly that he made this radical move. His hope was set on Christ, Hebrew says. He was looking forward to the reward that the Christ would bring. He counted the cost. And again, as the Hebrews text says, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. He said, he said which is more valuable? Uh, wh- which is a better thing for me? Uh, to, to remain in Pharaoh's house and to eat all of this delicious food and to be nicely clothed and to live in this palace, to live this life of comfort, is that more valuable? Or is identifying with God and His people and His Christ, is that more valuable? He counted the cost and he chose the better thing. Uh, That is the point that this passage is making. He chose uh, the better thing. It was faith that drove him to make this dramatic and daring move. He had faith in God, in the promises of God, and in the promised Messiah. The implications of this Hebrews text are pretty huge. Not only does Hebrews 11:24 24 through 26 shed light on the question, what drove Moses to do what he did? It also sheds light on the question, what was known by the Hebrews who lived in Moses' day concerning the promises of God and the good news that salvation would come through the Messiah? What was known by them? Have you ever wondered that? I mean, you can picture the Hebrews there in Egyptian bondage. You can picture their oppression Uh, We know for certain that not all of them believed in the promises of God. Many had been given over to idolatry. That is certainly true. But what was known in those days? Was the truth of the gospel preserved amongst the Hebrew people? We must say yes. Moses understood these things. He knew about the promises given to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And he knew that they were about the Christ and I'm sure that Moses was not the only one. There's a lot of evidence that Moses' family understood these things too, and probably many others. Again, many of the Hebrews were ignorant concerning these promises, I'm sure. Many did not believe. But the promises were preserved, even through these years of suffering. And it appears that Moses, his family, along with others, believed them. The main point is this. Moses chose suffering over glory, being driven by faith in God, in the promises of God, and in God's Messiah. Already we can see that Moses was a type of Christ. Not only did he have faith in the promised Messiah, but we are seeing that his life would serve as a picture and foreshadowing of the Christ who was yet to come Moses would be used by God to rescue his people from bondage and so would the Christ but in a much greater way and Moses would accomplish this redemption by setting aside glory honor and power and so would the Christ but in a much greater way Moses set aside the wealth and treasures of Egypt but Christ though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth under the, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord the glory of God the Father. That is Philippians 2, 6-11. Uh, through 11. And I'm saying that when Moses forsook the glory of Egypt and decided to identify with the Hebrew people and to suffer with them, uh, he was foreshadowing something that the Christ himself would do, but in a much greater way. As we continue on in our passage, not only do we see that Moses had decided to identify with God's people, By this time, he had also developed the heart of a deliverer. Moses, by this time, had developed the heart of a deliverer. Verse 11. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Verse 12. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Here we see that Moses had developed a great concern for the Hebrews and wished to alleviate their suffering. When did he develop this concern? Was it with him from a young age or was it a late development? The text doesn't say. But he surely had it by the age of 40. Also, we see clearly that Moses was concerned with matters of justice. He witnessed the mistreatment of his people and it troubled him greatly, leading him to take action. This same concern for the oppressed and Moses' willingness to stand up to oppressors shows up again later in this passage when Moses comes to the defense of the daughters of Ruel in the land of Midian. When these seven daughters of Ruel came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock, shepherds came and drove them away. So these strong shepherds mistreated these vulnerable women. But we see that Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. So quite clearly one of the reasons these stories are told to us is to show us something about the character of the man Moses. He was concerned for the oppressed. He was bothered by injustice. He was concerned for God's people. We see also that he was strong. He was very bold. He was courageous. And these are good qualities. They they are a reflection of the character of God. In fact, Psalm 103 connects these characteristics of God with the man Moses saying the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed he made his he made known his ways to Moses his acts to the people of Israel I think we are to see this connection that when Moses stood up for the oppressed here he was reflecting something of the character of God himself and these qualities would also be found in the Christ, but purely so. Moses had by this time developed the heart of a deliverer, but evidently God was not done developing Moses to be the deliverer that he would call him to be. This is the third thing that I would like for you to see in our text for today. God was not done developing Moses. In Acts 7.25 Stephen clearly says that Moses is in was to deliver the Hebrews when he struck down the abusive Egyptian. And I quote, He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by His hand, but they did not understand. Perhaps Moses thought he could in this moment, at the age of 40, lead an uprising. By striking down the Egyptian, perhaps he could go back out to the Hebrew people and say, I'm here to deliver you. Are you ready? Let's let's rise up and let's leave this land. I'm ready to be your deliverer, your leader. But what did the people say to him when he came out the next day? He saw two Hebrews struggling together this time. Not an Egyptian and a Hebrew, but two Hebrews were struggling together. And evidently he took the time to figure out which man was in the wrong. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? And he answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. Moses assumed that the Hebrews would rally around him, seeing that he was willing to stand up for them. But we see here that they were not at all interested in following Him. Who made you a prince and judge over us, was the question put to Moses. And really, that's a good question. In truth, no one had. Not God, nor anyone else. Moses had at this moment taken it upon himself to be the prince and prince of the Hebrews. And the Hebrews were not willing to follow him. And they did not want him as a judge either. Perhaps this had something to do with his killing of the Egyptian. Though I do not doubt that Moses acted out of a true desire to protect the oppressed, his response was not proportionate, nor was it just. What did Moses do? He killed a man for wounding another and this sounds more like the ethic of that wicked ruler Lamech who boasted to his wives in Genesis saying, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. than the righteous leader of Israel through whom God would eventually give his law. Are you following with me? He had the heart of a deliverer, yes. But here he acted in, a, in an unjust way. He took it upon himself to put this Egyptian to death wounding another. Listen again to the question of the guilty Hebrew. Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? In other words, do you intend to apply the same standard of justice to me as you did to the Egyptian slave master? Will you put me to death for striking another? The standard of justice is very different from the one given to Noah and thus to all nations, which is Blood for blood, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. So, the picture that is painted here in this passage is that Moses did at this time possess the qualities of a great deliverer of God's people. He had strong faith in God and in the promises of God. He loved God and God's people. He was deeply troubled by their mistreatment. He was willing to sacrifice comfort, safety, and great wealth for the good of others. He was bold, he was courageous. These were wonderful qualities, and they would be needed in the future. But the time was not yet. The Hebrews were not ready, and neither was Moses. If we were to critique Moses at this stage of his life, we might say that he was a bit arrogant, self-reliant, reckless. He was arrogant to appoint himself as the deliverer of the Hebrew people. He was self-reliant to do this apart from the call of God, And he was reckless in his approach. When he killed that Egyptian, he did not act justly. And in so doing, he probably brought great trouble upon the Hebrew slaves. Think of it. An Egyptian taskmaster was missing. And the authorities were sure to put the blame on whom? The the Hebrews. Uh, They were going to bear the brunt of the wrath of the Egyptians now. And Moses realized this. And that is why he fled, saying, Surely the thing is known. Sure enough, in verse 15, we read, When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. It's not surprising that Pharaoh sought to kill Moses. Um, Pharaoh knew that he now had a traitor in his house. Moses fled to Midian. Why Midian? Midian, first of all, was not far from the northeast portion of Egypt. It was rural and sparsely populated. And the Midianites were also close relatives to the Hebrews. They too descended from Abraham through his wife Keturah. So after Moses ditched his Egyptian garb, he would have probably been able to blend in amongst that people. Moses fled to Midian And the text says that he sat down by a well. Why this little detail? Uh, We're covering such huge spans of time. No detail given regarding uh, the childhood or early adulthood of Moses. But now we read that he went to Midian and he sat down by a well. Why this detail? Uh, Perhaps you remember that wells were very important in the Genesis narrative. Both Both Isaac and Jacob Found their wives at wells. Wells signify blessing and life, and understandably so in such an arid region. And so when we read that Moses sat down by a well, it signals to us that this man is about to have a new beginning. Just like Isaac and Jacob before him, we see that Moses found a wife at this well. After he came to the defense of the seven daughters of Ruel, the women returned home. Verse 18, when they came home to their father Ruel, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? He said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, then where is he? This isn't how we treat strangers, girls. Um, Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And so please allow me to say just a few things about these verses. One, you should know that Ruel is also called by another name in the book of Exodus. In 3 1, for example, he is called by the name Jethro. Ruel was probably his clan name and Jethro his common name. You and I have first and last names too, so this should not surprise us. 2. Notice that Moses is presented by the daughters of Ruel or Jethro as a deliverer. In verse 17, it was said that Moses drove away the oppressed shepherds, stood up and saved them, and afterwards watered their flocks for them. Here, verse 19, uh, in verse 19, the daughters of Ruel say, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds, and even drew water for us and watered the flock. Again, we are to see Moses as a developing deliverer. He must have been very strong and courageous to drive those shepherds away on his own. I mean, he was there all alone. And there were many of these shepherds, grown men. Uh, And then after he accomplished this, he went to the work uh, that the seven daughters came to do. And he accomplished that work, watering the flock, in less time than was typical for them. So he was very strong and courageous. Three, Ruel is called the priest of Midian. That's interesting, isn't it? Ruel was the priest of Midian. I I do wonder what kind of priest he was. How much did he know about the God of Abraham and the promise given to him? And if he knew something about these promises, how much did he believe them? In other words, how pure or how corrupt was the religion of Ruel? The text does not say. But we know this for sure he was hospitable to Moses. He would give his daughter to him in marriage. He would support Moses and encourage him in his work of deliverance before and after the Exodus. And he would eventually rejoice in the good that God did for Israel, offering sacrifices up to the Lord. We'll see all of this later in our study of the book of Exodus. Uh, But Ruel seems to be very eager to support Moses in this work and to celebrate the accomplishment of it even giving worship to the God of Israel. The evidence seems to point in this direction. Ruel was likely a priest who promoted worship that was somewhat true yet impure. Perhaps we are to think that Ruel was refined through his relationship with Moses over many years so that maybe he did come to a a, a true faith in the God of Israel. Remember, he did descend from Abraham too. Ruel was hospitable to Moses, and not just for a day. Moses would dwell with the man for 40 years. Verse 21 says, And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. What a fitting name for Moses' oldest son, Gershom sounds like the Hebrew word for sojourner. And we see that Moses himself was a sojourner three times over. He was a Hebrew, first of all, brought up in Egypt. He was a Hebrew, secondly, raised in Pharaoh's house. And thirdly, he was a Hebrew of the house of Pharaoh, exiled now to Midian. He was a sojourner. He was a man living away from his true home. And Gershom would be a sojourner too, eventually coming to wander in the wilderness with the people of Israel. The phrase, Moses was content to dwell with a man, is worth noting. It reveals a lot about Moses' heart. We must remember that not many days before this, Moses was dwelling in a palace, living in luxury. But he was content to dwell with Jethro and Midian, which would have been a very, very humble existence in comparison to his life in Egypt. Moses, we see, was not a worldly man. He was not in love with the, the things of this world, with the pleasures of this world. He was truly a man of faith. He indeed was willing to put aside all of that, all of that wealth, all of that glory, to live in a humble place. For he had determined to follow after his God and to identify With his people. So, what were those 40 years in Midian for? What were they for? Why didn't God accomplish his work of redemption when Moses was 40? Why not then? Why did he wait until Moses was 80 years old? The ways of the Lord are often a mystery to us. And so, I'm not going to attempt a thorough and definitive answer to that question. But two things seem obvious. I think we can draw these two points from the narrative of Exodus. One, Moses was refined by God during those 40 years. He was further prepared to be the redeemer that God had called him to be. And two, God would be glorified in a greater way as he worked his redemption, not by the hand of a strong and courageous warrior, but by a man of meekness and weakness concerning the refinement of Moses. We should carefully compare the 40-year-old Moses with the 80-year-old Moses. When he was 40, he was eager to be a deliverer. Yes, he was bold, strong, and courageous, but he was also a bit arrogant, it seems, impulsive and reckless. Contrast this with who he was when God spoke to him in the burning bush and finally called him to deliver Israel. Moses didn't want to go, remember. He has a kind of argument with God there um, where he tries to convince God, send someone else, I I can't do it. This is so different from who he was as a 40-year-old man. In Numbers 12.3, we find this remark concerning the character of Moses in his later years. Now, the man Moses was very meek More than all people who were on the face of the earth. Have you ever heard that about Moses? That he was the most humble man who's ever lived, you know, with the exception of Christ. Uh, He was a very meek man. Well, he was not a very meek man when he was 40, but he was when he was 80. And as he led the people of Israel out of Egyptian bondage and in the wilderness for those 40 years, he was known as a most meek man. Where did that meekness come from? It must have been developed uh, during that time of exile in the land of Midian. Uh, meekness is not typically the character trait that we associate with great, great leaders like Moses. The man was used by God to lead hundreds of thousands of Hebrews out from under the oppression of a great and powerful nation. Think about that for a moment. When you picture a leader like that, do you typically think of a, a man who is meek and mild? I uh, know we typically imagine someone more like the 40-year-old Moses, but not the 80-year-old Moses. Moses by that time was very meek. He was humble. And I would propose to you that Moses was exiled to Midian so that God, God might humble him there in that place and use him in his humility. I, I can see how 40 years in the wilderness could do that to a man. What did Moses, the prince of Egypt, remember, do for 40 years? What did Moses, the prince of Egypt, do for 40 years in Midian? He tended to the flocks of his father-in-law Jethro. What a change. Talk about an occupational change. There's one for you. To go from prince of Egypt to a humble shepherd, that, that would be very humbling. Also, marriage can humble a man. So too can parenthood. Age should also bring humility. I say can and should because these things do not always produce humility in men or women. Sometimes men and women grow even more prideful and hard-hearted in marriage and as parents and with the passing of time. But the faithful will grow more humble, meek, and mild as God refines them through these experiences. And this seems to have been the case with Moses. So God was not done developing Moses at the age of 40. He he had more work to do in his soul. During those 40 years of exile, his body grew weaker, but his faith grew stronger. And this was the thing that he needed if he was to do the work that God had set him apart to do. He needed strong faith. Paradoxically, To be strong in faith, one must be weak as it it pertains to pride. Those who are prideful, they trust in themselves. Whereas those who are humble are free to to trust in the Lord. And that's what we see Moses doing in his later years. He he does not trust in himself at all. He, He sees himself as completely inadequate to do anything for the Hebrew people. And yet he's willing to obey the Lord and to be used by the Lord. This theme... You know it can be found throughout the Scriptures. For this is how God works in the world. He chooses what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, what is weak in the world to shame the strong, what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God, as it is written, Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. I I think you can see where this is all going. When God did finally provide redemption for the Hebrews, He would do it through Moses, but no one in the world would say that it was Moses who redeemed Israel. Everyone knew. This was not the work of Moses. This was the work of God. Clearly it was the Lord's work, and it would be the Lord who would get the glory, therefore, and not Moses himself. Verses 23-25 through are transitional. They set the stage for what is to come. There we read, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Consider a few things about these summary verses, these transitional verses. One, the people of Israel went on suffering under Egyptian bondage for 80 years after the birth of Moses. They went on suffering for another 40 years after Moses tried to bring uh, deliverance to them when he was at the age of 40. I want for you to ponder that for a moment. It's a long time. In fact, they had already been suffering for many, many years before this, before Moses was born. It's a long time for the people of God to suffer. And they suffered very cruel oppression. And so yes, we must see that God does permit His people to suffer. It's revealed to us at the the very earliest stages of of, of the history of redemption and, and in the Scriptures. God does permit His people to suffer. But we see also that He works in the midst of suffering we must confess that both things are true. He permits his people to suffer, and he works in the midst of suffering. Two, the king of Egypt, who had sought Moses' life when he was 40, died. And I think this is good to remember, that these powerful rulers of the past, present, and future, they are mere mortals. Sometimes we lose sight of that, don't we? We see these powerful figures in the world today, and we think... How can we possibly stand up against them? How could God possibly accomplish His purpose with this one on the throne? You know, They're mere mortals. The, the, the king of Egypt, he died. And I think this is an important fact to note. He died. Their lives will come to an end. But God remains. His plans and purposes, they will never fail. They keep marching right along. God is faithful. He, he does all that He says He will do. 3. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. And we read that they cried out for help. Their suffering was great, but here we learn that they cried out to God for help. God works through the prayers of His people, brothers and sisters. Yes, God is sovereign over all, and yes, God has foreordained all things that will come to pass. We must confess that this is true. Nevertheless, God has determined to work in and through the prayers of His people. We must pray. Brothers and sisters, for God commands it. This is one of the ways that He works in the world, through the prayers of, of His people. Were the Hebrews praying all along? I'm sure some of them were. But it seems as if things have, had come to this point, where uh, the people as a whole were now crying out to God, for that is what the text notes. They're suffering, they're groaning, and they are crying out to God in prayer, asking for deliverance. Four, God heard the prayers of His people. He always does. Their cry for rescue from slavery came to God, and God heard their groaning. Five, God remembered His covenant. This is so important to see. God remembered His covenant. What God will do in the Exodus event is in fulfillment to the promises previously made. He remembered the promises Of the covenant that he had transacted with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob regarding their offspring in the land. When the text says that God remembered, it does not mean that he forgot, by the way. (laughs) You and I, uh, when we remember something, it implies that we forgot that thing and it all of a sudden came to us. Oh, yes, I forgot, but now I remember. No, when the text says that God remembered, it does not mean that he forgot. It means that he was now ready to act and to keep. The promises that He had previously made. Now was the time. Six, the words, and God knew, tell us that God was not unaware of the suffering of His people. He knew. Indeed, He knows all things, past, present, and future, with perfect clarity. When the text says He knew, it means that He was aware, cared for, was near, and engaged with His people. And this should be a great comfort to the people of God, As they suffer in this world, God knows. In other words, our suffering is not the result of God being absent, indifferent, aloof, or impotent. He knows, He is aware, near, and engaged. And and though the purpose for our suffering is often a mystery to us, it is a comfort to know that we are in the hands of our God who loves us, who is infinitely powerful. And infinitely wise. God knows. Verses 23 through 25 clearly signal that something is about to happen. God is about to act, to bring about the deliverance of His people in fulfillment to the promises made to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, for He is faithful. Will you please allow me to conclude now with a few very brief suggestions? For application based upon this narrative. One, I ask Will you identify yourself with God and His people, even if it means the loss of comfort, fame, and prosperity in this world? Will you identify yourself with God and His people, even if it means the loss of comfort, fame, and prosperity in this world? I think. Moses was a wonderful example of one who was willing to do that. It was his faith that drove him in this direction. To quote Hebrews 11 again, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. I put emphasis upon the words refused, choosing, considered, and looking in order to show that Moses was very deliberate about all of this. He knew what he was doing. He truly believed that he was choosing the better thing when he walked away from the Egyptians and stood with the Hebrews. He was rejecting the world and the things of this world, and he was choosing Christ instead. And I am simply asking you this this morning, have you, or will you, will you do this thing yourself? You cannot have this fallen and sinful world and Christ. You must choose. And I pray that you would choose God and Christ. It is the better choice, friends. Paul the Apostle did. As he reminisced about his high status he enjoyed in the world before following Christ, he said, But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So Moses and Paul share this in common. They both considered the things of this world, the pleasures of this world, as garbage in comparison to knowing Christ and being found in Him. And so do you have the same perspective? That is my question. I'm tempted to say, I'm especially asking this of those who are young. Young people, do you have this perspective? That it is better to follow Christ than to have the pleasures of this world. I hope that you do. Uh, But I've refrained from asking it just to the young people because I know that those who are advanced in years struggle with the same thing. Even those who have been in Christ for a long time may be tempted to, to go after the things of this world and to forsake Christ. And I'm saying to you that it's the wrong choice. The better thing is to have Christ and to be found in Him. For in Him we have life everlasting. Two, Do you, like Moses, have a zeal to see God's plans and purposes advance in this world? Moses' zeal to see God's redemptive purposes furthered and also his willingness to stand up for the oppressed is commendable and worthy of imitation. He did not do so in the best way. But these things, these qualities, are commendable and worthy of imitation. There was only one Moses, just as there was only one Christ, Moses' particular calling was very different from ours. But we do share the same faith and the same Messiah. We have the same hope that is life everlasting in the new heavens and earth through faith in the Messiah. And we are aiming at the same thing, namely the glory of God. He is our covenant keeping, Lord, and we seek to exalt Him. We simply have different roles to play. There was only one Moses. You are not Moses. You don't have the mission that he had. If we are to advance God's redemptive purposes, we must devote ourselves to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the building up of the church of Christ, and to the maintenance of the worship of His most holy name. This is what we are to do. In other words, we are to devote ourselves to the furtherance of Christ's kingdom now. And as it pertains to Moses' concern for the oppressed, we too should share his concern and seek to promote true justice within the communities where we live today. I think his zeal for these things, the furtherance of God's redemptive purposes and the promotion of justice, are worthy of imitation. Thirdly and lastly, I ask you, do you have the humility that Moses had in his later years? Are you meek? The scriptures say that we must pursue meekness. Listen to the words of Paul. He speaks to Christians saying, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. I've heard people say things like this, well, in reference to humility and meekness it's just not who i am have you ever heard people talk that way it's not my personality i'm not a meek person i'm i'm very bold and aggressive you know and granted there are different personality types within christ's church and i thank the lord for that but it is possible for someone who is bold and maybe a little loud to also be truly meek and humble it may not be who you are now but it was but it is what god calls us to be We are to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. As I said earlier, I think Moses spent 40 years in Midian so that the Lord might develop this humility within him. I'm sure there were other reasons for it too. Lots of good things happened during that time. But the narrative of Exodus seems to highlight the development of this trait within Moses. This development of the trait of meekness or humility. And I wonder if you have ever considered this, dear brothers and sisters, that the Lord may be doing something similar with you. Why is it that you are sojourning in this desert place, metaphorically speaking, or enduring this prolonged trial? And I can't tell you for sure, but I do know this. The Lord is seeking to refine you through it. And so I exhort you, friends, to be patient, be believing, Walk by faith knowing that the Lord is in control. He is at work within you and He will surely bring that work to its completion. I suspect that one of the things that He is doing during the trial you are experiencing is developing meekness and humility within you and He is strengthening your faith day by day so that you might be found trusting truly in Him to His glory, honor, and praise. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Great God in heaven, we thank you for this work of redemption that you accomplished amongst the Hebrews through this man, Moses. Help us to see how it is that you did it, O Lord. You used a man not strong according to the world's eyes, um, not powerful, not arrogant or rude, but an older man who was weak in the flesh, one who was humble. Uh, We thank you, O God, for working in the world in this way, For we know that in this way you get the glory. So do this work within us, O Lord. May we be found a humble people who have a true trust in you, O God. Father, we pray that you would work within us to further your kingdom now. Now that the Christ has come, may we be all about the proclamation of the Christ and of the gospel of the kingdom. We pray that you would work powerfully in this place, O Lord, to further your kingdom here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.